This is the Game Level Learn podcast. I'm your host, John Cassie. Game Level Learn is a podcast about the ways in which games and gamification can shape teaching and learning to improve the experience and success of students. We discuss gamified methods, review new and old games to explore how those games might be used out of the box in classroom practice, and discuss great books on games, gaming, and gamification that'll rev up your thinking. I am thrilled to be joined on this episode of Game Level Learn by my dear friend and former colleague, Tracy Wozenegger, a gamifying chemistry teacher from Swigley Academy in Pittsburgh. Hello, Tracy. Hello, John. So, Tracy, you're already, uh, what is this, November, right? So you're already a couple of months into the year. Now, Now, have you done any gamification yet? Yes. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So I think that I'm at Gamification 101 yep. in my class. So I've started to use game mechanics yeah. in lessons. So I haven't, I haven't gamified an entire unit or anything like that. Right. But I gamify um, single lessons for my chemistry classes. Well, you, you know that the, the work that we've done in the past uh, points to doing that more and more and more, right? right. And that... that uh, I think that one of the ways to introduce this to students, particularly ones who maybe are a little skeptical of of games and classes, right, is to do it in exactly that way. Find a little mechanic here, find a little mechanic there, bring it in in a way that's a little, that's not very threatening. Right, or a way that you've been doing something already even. Exactly. You know, le- leveling up through a lesson is a really easy way to introduce a game mechanic into class. Exactly. And most students, I mean, at least in my experience, most students kind of dig that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They want to see that they're, it's a little more tangible. Right. Right. You know, that, that so many of the ways that we as educators assess, there can, there can leave a little gap between when we actually give the assessment and when they get it back, right? Whereas if you're leveling... Instantaneous feedback. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know kind of exactly what's, what's going on, which I think is, is one of the reasons why, why gamified instruction is, is, is a good method. It's a useful method. Not yes. the only one, but it's a good one. Right. Um, now, not only have we been teaching together and learning together, We've been playing games together. Yes. Okay. And losing games together. I have been losing. What? (laughs) I have been. We have been losing games together. Oh, Tracy, (laughs) Tracy, no one loses a cooperative (laughs) with as much flair as you and me working together. (laughs) Right. Where any other team would lose with with uh, with a certain. Uh, 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 aggressive flaming out quality. No, right. No, no, no. We, we lose with a stately dignity. That's right. Right. You could lose that game in 20 minutes, but why would we do that when we could spend four hours? Right. And then Take lose. it all the way to the end. I am looking at you, Eldritch Horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God bless. Cthulhu pandemic. Ugh. Deadly. Cthulhu. Deadly. Get you every time. If there's no... Right. Why even... Why even bother? Just put a tick in the loss column. Because Move if we're on, on the same side, <laughs> we're done. We're done. We're done. Um, 
we played one of the most memorable games of Letters from Whitechapel. Correct. That I think has ever been played. Now, Correct. I suspect, I suspect that this game is going to get talked about a little bit later in this episode. I suspect it will. I suspect it will. I hope it is. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if um, it isn't, it will be another episode. You know, that game, from my perspective, you could do a whole episode on how to gamify using that, that game. Right. And that's not even talking about the game itself. That's just talking about how it can help you as a teacher. Right. Right. Um, that was an exciting game. That, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> that was so good. To lose the last possible moment. Listeners, to be clear, John Cassie lost. I was on the winning cooperative team. Tracy, once again, speaking was- truth. There was much rejoicing. There was much rejoicing. You could hear it from river to river. From, from the mountaintops. Ri- from, <laughs> from sea to shining sea. We got him. We got him. <clears throat> it was an outrage. I can't believe it happened. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, um, so look, w- one of the things that we've talked about a lot and that's going to really be the subject of this episode is the fact that if you're going to do this work in your classroom, the more games, the more different kinds of games you've played, just the better it's going to be. Okay. As a teacher, if you've experienced a lot of different kinds of gameplay, you're going to have more tools in your toolkit as a gamifying teacher than if you've only played your sort of American classics, you know, your, your Monopoly, Sorry, uh, uh, Checkers and chess, blah, 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 right? Yeah. You know, the, the, the merits of those games notwithstanding, I don't anticipate seeing any of them on these lists that we're going to talk about. Um, the, the more games of different kinds of mechanics you've played, the different skill levels you've played, uh, the better off it's going to be for you as a teacher trying to bring this work to your classroom. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can remember um, even in... Uh, even in times when we were just playing basically sort of, you know, sort of filler games, you know, little card games or what have you, um, getting to the end and you and I sort of looking at each other saying, I could take this and do this. I could take that and do this, right? And these are games brought by just random friends of ours or whomever, um, you know, to a, to a gaming night, right? Yeah. So what I hope listeners and friends of this podcast and friends of me and friends of Tracy will do is, um, is share this with other teachers who, uh, who might catch the bug of gaming a little bit and learn something and have some great fun playing these games. Okay. So what Tracy and I are going to do, right, uh, is um, we're going to share and talk about our Top 10 games that a gamifying teacher should play. It's basically games for gamifiers 101. Okay. You think you might want to do this? Play some of these games. And then send us a note to uh, the Game Level Learn podcast at Game Level Learn on Twitter or to uh, to my email address or Tracy's. We'll give you some contact information at the end of the show. Um, but I think that these games... 
uh, certainly my games, Tracy, I can't speak to your list, but my games are going to give you a unique and an intriguing uh, gameplay experience and that they might help you get a good foundation for your own lesson planning. What do you think of your list, Tracy? You think it's going to do that? I think it's going to do that, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how our lists compare. Totally. See if there's overlap games. Right. Um, and to see, because I'm a science teacher, right. if my focus is different than yours. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. Right. I, I'm, I'm at a point as a teacher in my career where I no longer think that my my sort of background as a classics and history person yeah. is so helpful to me. I feel like I'm doing so many, so many things that, but having said that, I can see definitely where the historian is showing up on my list. And I, I bet you can you're see the scientist on see, yours. Yeah. You're definitely going to yeah. see the scientist on mine. Brilliant. I did, I did aim for diversity. You know, you were talking before the more different types of games you play. Right. So I tried to, spread out some interesting mechanics. Brilliant. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your list. We'll see. Tracy, give us number 10. Your number, list, number 10. Number 10. Number 10. Set. 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 Okay. Talk to us. So Set is an older game that I've recently been introduced to. You lay down a grid of cards, three by four, and each card has a shape on it. So there's diamonds, some oval shapes, some squiggle S shapes. And the shapes are either empty, filled with lines, or solid filled. Uh And you all play simultaneously. So you sit around and look at the, the cards, and your job is to make a set of three cards. Okay. So there's different ways to make sets. Every shape could be diamonds, but they are a different number of diamonds. One, two, three, and they're all the same color. Okay. Or they're all diamonds, different numbers, different colors. Okay. So there's all these different possibilities of sets that you can make, and you're all looking at the same time. And as soon as you see a set, you grab the cards, and they go into your pile, and you replace them. And everyone starts looking for sets again. Interesting. So it's about pattern recognition. Right. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit as well about pattern recognition down the road. Okay, here. Why does that matter to you? Because science is pattern recognition. It's it's, It's a fundamental skill that scientists need. Right. And your sense is, I would think that this would work that you could scale this all the way down probably to like grade three. Right. And, and all the way up to being a senior. Correct. Right. And maybe even into, into a university kind of context because it's right. just what patterns are you trying to get, get people to, to, to recognize? Right. And you could start with just playing the base game. Um, you know, that wouldn't really be gamification. That would be game-based learning um, to have people play the base game. But, you know, I was watching adults play this, um, you know, and, the amount of focus that these people were putting on this little board of cards right. was, was amazing. Right. How long does it take to play? However long you want it to, to play, I uh, think. You yeah, know, you so could, they were playing it as a filler game right. um, while they were waiting for other games to start. 
Um, and I think, you know, they sort of stopped because they had determined there were no more sets. I see. In the block that they had. Yeah. Yeah. Have you played Hanabi? Yes. Yeah. Similar, right? No. No. I would say no. Okay. Is Hanabi on your list? I won't say until we get there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think Set's fun. It's a super fun game. And actually, I found you can play it online. Oh, neat. Google Set, there's a little online version that sets up the grid for you. And you can just look for sets of cards in there. Cool. Yeah. These are the cards that look like those old-fashioned ESP cards, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fun in and of itself. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about set? No. Okay. My number 10. Ready? This is a ready. game you and I have played. I'm ready. Okay? The New Science. Oh. Remember New Science? I do. Okay. Now, New Science, much harder than, than set. Yes. Yeah, it'll take much longer to play. And that's sort of why it's on my, it's at the, it's at the end of the list, right? New Science is a, a worker placement game where you as the player are representing the, the work, the laboratory of a particular Enlightenment era scientist. And you're trying to do uh, research along various uh, sort of knowledge trees uh, that are essential to creating the, 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 the world of understanding that we know right now in science. You're, you're sort of doing Newtonian physics and you're doing basic chemistry and your gravitation and optics and things like that. Now, I, I pick it because worker placement games are really fun and challenging. Most of them are harder than the new science in my judgment. Okay. A game like Agricola, a great game, ruinously difficult, even for a good gamer, very hard, uh, not the sort of game that a, that a, that a, a person new to gaming would be able to, to get into without a lot of help, I think. Um, and I like it because it, it gives you just enough things to do and just enough choices to make so that if you were to take the engine of the new science and port it into your, you know, your own lesson planning or whatever, it's not so complicated that you couldn't just take it as is, right? And overlay exactly your content or skills that you and, want. Yeah, exactly. Whereas a game like, say, Kalos or Agricola, another much more complicated work replacement game, you'd need to strip it down um, first. Um, the other thing I love about the new science is I think its art is beautiful. Is it's a beautiful looking game, and that goes a long way for me. Uh, so that's my number ten, the new science. Um, and I haven't played Tesla versus Edison yet. Trace, have you played that? I have not. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, the next time we get together, Tesla versus Edison. Tesla v Edison. Okay, that's my number ten. Tracy, what's your number nine? Are you ready? Ready. You introduced me to this game. Uh Aha. Galaxy Trucker. Ooh. (laughs) Nice. A game I can't, I can't figure out that game to save my life. I cannot win this game. 
I can't even and play it. Galaxy. <laughs> That's part of the reason I put it on the list. <laughs> because I can't play it very well. Galaxy Trucker <clears throat> is played in, in sort of two phases. And phase number one is the phase that really interests me for use in classrooms, I think. Um, so Galaxy Trucker is a game about um, you are building a spaceship to transport goods through the galaxy. And you are going to build your ship knowing that you're going to face obstacles during the transportation phase of your mission. So you might be attacked by asteroids or, or things like that. So the whole first phase is players racing to build ships. Yep. So there's, there's build tiles face down on a table, and everyone stands, I guess you could sit, um, yep. but everyone stands around the table, yep. and you can only pick up one tile at a time and look at it to see what part it has um, to build your truck, or your, your spaceship, excuse me. Um, so there's this frenzy of building, and there are rules about how you can build your spaceship you know, the, the rockets have to face a certain direction and you want to have guns that cover right. all sides of your ship. Right. And, um, and it's, it's complicated without being overly complicated. But you're, it's basically a design challenge, right? You against right. all these other players to design the best ship right. um, in the shortest amount of time. Right. The best structure to deal with the challenges that the game is going to throw at the structure. Right. And you right. don't know the challenges. Right. Right. You have, a, you have an idea. You have an inkling of what might happen. Right. Um, right. But you don't know the specifics. Right. Um, so that design element at the beginning, I just think is one of the funnest things. I mean, the first time we played, I was just sort of beside myself <laughs> with stress and entertainment and joy. Right. And, right. Um, and yeah. I just think there's something in that mechanic of building that spaceship. Right. There's something in there about having a hundred tiles in front of you. And none of them are inherently better than any other. Right. It's like, well, that one could be really useful in this circumstance, but not as useful in this other circumstance. So you just have to make judgments on the fly. And so fast. And so fast. Because right? you put it down, John Cassie's picking it up. That's right. And he's That's putting right. it in a spaceship. And then, <laughs> no soup for you. Right. Right. Uh, or, you know, if you're, if you're me, you're taking the tile you need, you're putting it back in the, in the mix, and you're taking some tile that will do you no help. Right. Right. And you're building a spaceship that it can't even be launched. <laughs> let, let, let alone, you know, our our friend who uh, who introduced this game to us. Uh, when he saw the ship that I built for the third stage, I was already dead last. He laughed. He laughed out loud at my ship, and lo and behold, uh, what? Two minutes had passed, and it was destroyed. Done. Like, like the one place on the ship where it's like, okay, if it if something hits you right there. You do realize your whole ship would, would literally come apart. You'd lose immediately. I'm like, well, thanks for naming it. Yeah. Two minutes and later, then, that's exactly there what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, imagine that in a, in a language classroom 
where you've broken words down into into pieces, okay, uh, or you've broken, you've got words that are in certain uh, tenses or or you know declension cases things like that, right? Build sentences, right? Right, out of these words that you have. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, imagine doing this in a you know in a civics class. You've got all of these sort of notions of government, and you have to compose a constitution, and then you've got a deck of cards that would say, "Okay, well, how would your, how would what you've built respond to this, this. kind of a challenge? To this kind yeah. of a challenge?" And you can pull that. You can pull the challenges right out of American history, right? Right. You know, you've got um, uh, uh, some states in your union do not want to stay part of your union. If you go to war against Great Britain, that's the War of 1812, okay, what will your constitution do, right? And that just leads you to critical thinking, right? which to me is, is sort of the point of the whole, the whole shebang anyway. Yeah. Love it. All right. Okay. You're number nine. My number nine. Forbidden Island. Ooh. Okay. Why? Take the cooperative mechanic... And boil it down to its purest essence, and I think that's Forbidden Island. Yep. Pandemic, uh, you know, much the same. Uh, I think Forbidden Island is, in some respects, a little easier, and so therefore more accessible. Okay. In in Forbidden Island, you are playing uh, adventurers who are trying to uh, capture four treasures uh, that have to be assembled from different pieces. Um, and you're trying to do this on an island that is actively flooding, that's being destroyed by a natural disaster, and you have to compi- you have to complete these four treasures and get off the island before the island sinks, or before your helicopter sinks, or before you can no longer get to the pieces you need to reassemble because they have sunk. Okay. Um, The designer of this game, Matt Leacock, um, is the designer of Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy, which has been, Pandemic Legacy in particular, has been all the rage in the last last year. So we also designed um, Forbidden Desert. If you want to take the cooperative mechanic and make it harder, play Forbidden Desert, because it's, I think it's much harder than Forbidden Island. Um, But it's a great game to teach people about the cooperative mechanic, and I think that's a that's a sort of an unheralded uh, uh, mechanic in uh, in gamified instruction because if students are competing together against the game, those students who don't like to compete against each other can still participate exactly they don't have to there's no social cost to winning or losing against a friend or against someone who was just nasty to you on Snapchat or whatever, because you're actually playing on the same team against a, an abstracted adversary. Right. Right. Um, and frankly, I think the game's fun. Everyone should play it. It's great fun. Yeah. So, great fun. so get at it. What's your number eight, Trace? Betrayal at House on the Hill. Okay. Are you surprised? Not remotely. Uh, <laughs> Um, Okay, now what's it it, doing there? So, in Betrayal at House on the Hill, you and your friends, um, if you're playing games with friends, 
Um, you and your friends are an intrepid group of explorers um, discovering, exploring a house on the hill, a haunted house on the hill. And the beginning of the game, you um, don't know what the house looks like. So you move into a space and discover what that space is, what room it is. Is there something spooky there? Um, maybe there's a treasure there waiting for you. You don't know. And this carries on for a while um, and things escalate in the game um, slowly and then sort of all of a sudden until one of the group um, becomes the enemy of everyone else and then um, tries to kill everyone so they can win. So I like it for a number of reasons. I like the exploring Right. I like, you know, the the idea of exploring a new thing and not knowing quite what's going to be there. Is it going to be good, bad, neutral? Um, I like the co-op at the beginning. Right. I like the escalation mechanism, how, you know, at the beginning things are okay (laughs) and then they're not okay. And then all of a sudden Martin is evil and 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 that's the end of it. And you never know exactly when it's all going to go to hell. Right. Right. But it will. It will. Yeah. Um, and I like the story of it. You know, you could, you could make this into a story and, um, you know, set the mood um, to make it a, a spookier game for the people that are playing. So I like that the story element. And there are, um, so you, you might be thinking to yourself, well, once you've played it once, you could never play it again. Um, but there are 50 possible betrayer scenarios in the original game. Um, So the chances of um, getting the same betrayer scenario are small. Right. Um, And there's a new expansion that adds even more. Exactly. um, To the game. So it's just an, it's a weird, interesting game and there's a lot going on in it. Right. But I think it's pretty accessible. um, Totally. And it's a lot of fun and it has a, a fun theme. It totally has a fun theme. You know, again, back to this idea of just, you know, games, games that you should play because they're fun to play. Betrayal, off the, it's just off the scale, right? Yeah. Are there some problems with the way that the mechanics work? Sure. Are some of the haunts better than the other? Absolutely. Sure. You know, look, this is not, uh, uh, you know, this is not a scenario where I'm looking to, uh, to have it be perfect. It's a little, it's social, it's storytelling, Right. right. It's a social, quirky, storytelling right. game. Right, right. You're, you're, you're having an experience with the game and with your friends. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's both. Right. Um, I, I, I agree with everything, everything that you said. I, I think what I like about it is, you know, in, the, in the, the, the book that I wrote on this stuff, I talked a lot about mimicry, the idea of having... Students take on the role of avatars, okay? Become someone else, and that changes the way that you relate to the learning experience, right? And what That happens be- naturally in Betrayal. Exactly. That Have happens naturally in Betrayal. Have you ever played a, be- a game of Betrayal where people do not refer to themselves in the third person as their character? Right. Madame Zostra is going to the kitchen. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Not me, Madame Zostra. Madame Zostra. Yeah, Madame Zostra. Madame Zostra, who can't stand up straight. <laughs> right. Both Tracy and I, you're not seeing this because this is an audio podcast, not a video podcast. But both Tracy and I are leaning back in a vaguely 
is something wrong with that person? Way. Yeah. Because if you know this game, you know that uh, Madame Zostra's piece, for whatever reason, she leans back in a sort of like like Ginger on Gilligan's Island sort of way. Um, sultry without being all that serious. Um, I like it because the characters have a lot of personality, but there's not a lot of stuff that had to happen to give those characters the personality. Right. Right. So it's a it's a reminder to you as an educator that you can create characters for students or have them create characters of their own based on very uh, just a couple of very simple questions. And that brings a lot of the character to life. Okay. Yeah. Um, And the the tell a shared story, explore a shared unexplored, a shared unknown. Please, not only is that usable, uh, obviously, in your sort of language and and sort of uh, history and whatever classes. The same thing holds true in all the other disciplines, to my, my, my mind. Yeah. One of the areas where I think that that game might work particularly well is imagine using it over the course of a year in an advisory. Oh, fun. You see what I mean? Like, like yeah. you start with generating the characters. The people in your advisory are going to experience a shared story like a like a like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. Yeah. And of course, if you've got if your school has themes or if it has concerns, things in your school culture that aren't working so well, you could use the story to unpack that. Yeah. Right. And it wouldn't take it wouldn't take curriculum designers all that long to create a framework where that game could be really fun. Right. Yeah. I think that's something that that maybe you and I should think about maybe working we on. We definitely should. Yeah, because I think uh, there's something there. Listeners, if you don't know what advisory groups are, I don't, is, that a, is that a universal term? Nope, no, advisory? no. Go, so um, at the school I teach at, um, we have advisory groups similar to a homeroom, um, but I have nine students right now, and we keep them from their freshman year until their senior year. So they check in with us every morning, and we have time together um, every day of the week. Um, so this is a group of students that you really get to know throughout their whole high school experience in my school. Yeah. Um, m- many schools do that or uh, you know, homerooms or, right. you know, things like that. Yeah, it's a small group of, of students who, who get together. And you could even imagine in a, in a school with much larger advisory groups that uh, maybe an entire grade would be working on one story. Right. right? And that, that the pieces that they are pulling out of a common pool of 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 pieces are part of a grades whole board or something like that yeah you know you could imagine it working something like that yeah um great choice <clears throat> all right your number My eight number eight is machi koro oh okay now do you I know, know i've never played machi koro oh wow you really need to it's 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 super easy and super fun in machi koro you are building a small city and your object is to build four special buildings um once you've built the fourth one, you win. Okay? And you build it by, or you get money to build these special buildings by building and buying other kinds of buildings that generate money. Okay? It's okay. a very simple economic city building game. What I love about it is that, particularly in younger grades, it would allow uh, very young learners, you know, grades one, two, three, um, to learn about what communities are and what they value in their in their local lives, what they value in their communities, um, by being able to 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 buy 
those victory point tiles that would represent the um, the kinds of things they want in their city. I want more parkland. I want a dog run. I want a pool. I want a beach. I want I want a movie theater. Whatever, right? So it allows a, a student. It's almost more like I want students to design their own version of Machikoro than play it. So so they would design what. What spaces are the winning tiles? And, and, what is what do we value the most in our city? Exactly, exactly. Something something like that, right? Now, for for a for a player, I think Machikoro is a great gateway game. Super super adorable art. You can learn how to play it in thirty seconds. It takes twenty minutes to finish, and then you're 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 in. You're done, and you're in. It's all good. Super and you fun. can buy it at Target. And you can buy it at Target. Super which, accessible. Right. Yeah, it, it's $20 if it's a penny, right? Um, so that's my number eight. Tracy, you're number seven? Okay. And you're going to make fun of me, I know. Probably. So I've strayed off of the board game path. Go. It's not going to be the first time. <laughs> um, so my number seven is Halo. Go. Now, I was going to – I didn't put any <laughs> video games on my list, so we might want to – revisit this video game question down the road but right yeah but i couldn't keep halo off the list so i started video games when i was very small with you know the original super nintendo and mario sure but halo was the so i picked halo but maybe yours is different halo was the first game i played where i showed real resilience nice no where i really dug in, never gave up, even though it was really, really hard for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, playing the original Halo on Legendary to see right. some, you know, five-second cheesy clip at the end right. um, and the animation is what got me through that. Um, but there were, there were sections that I probably played, oh, 100-plus times before I beat them. Yeah, right. Um, you know, Listener, please understand I'm not great at video games. <laughs> um, right. You know, but I did it and I beat it. And I beat it on Legendary. Wow. Um, and, and I think that, that building of resilience, how many, how many times would we do something 100 plus times in real life if we didn't get it right? Right. So something about Halo kept me in it. Yeah. Um. Halo's a game I've never played. Uh, it's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> if you like shooting aliens in the face. And who doesn't, right? Right. Um, maybe for me, and we'll probably have to come back to this, um, is uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. Love it. Couldn't never finish it, but God, did I try. Right? right. My My nephew and I, He's maybe eight when I'm telling this story. He's 30 now, right? <laughs> so this, one, this story, he's maybe eight, okay? We've got ourselves all the way to world eight, four. We're at the end, okay? Cannot defeat that world, all right? So you know if you turn the game off, you, you have to... Yeah. Okay. So you so left it on. Left it on. <laughs> For seven or eight months, and then there was a there was a power <gasps> shorted, a power outage, and gone. it was all gone. And that we were done. He and I have never played the game since. 
right? I, I think the game I, is genius, right? So now I think you should revisit it. It's oh, your Halo. My God. You need to go back and, and beat it. You're the devil. Thank you. I'll buy it this weekend. Yeah. I'll let you know how it goes. So resilience. Resi- yeah, resilience, Some right. Some games inspire resilience. And and I, I think that there's nothing quite like um, a, a long playing video game or an MMO. Yeah. To, 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 to build that particular skill, which we know in this generation is something we have to pay particular attention to. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Okay. So that brings me to my seven. Yes. Betrayal at House on the Hill. <gasps> Woo! We finally agree on something. <laughs> uh, and uh, for all the reasons that we, that we said, you know, the, the game's brilliant. It's cool. Uh, Madame Zostra. Madame Zostra. What's Heather. your number six, Trace? Also not a board game. Do an escape room. Do an, oh, I should have said do that. Do an escape room. Do an escape room. If you've never done an yeah. escape room, you have to do an escape room. Um, if you don't know what an escape room is, they lock you and friends and sometimes strangers um, into a room. And usually you have an hour to escape. So there are clues and puzzles and, and hidden things all in the room. And you all have to work together to get out of the space. Um, so there's, there's quite a few in Pittsburgh, actually. Um, and I've done four or five now. Wow. Um, all, all super fun. They're, so I like them because of the co-op play. Right. Um, I like them because they're hands-on. So you actually have to physically do mm-hmm. some puzzles or open things and things like that. Right. Um, the critical thinking is off the charts. Totally. Uh, the creativity is off the charts. You know, you really have got to be thinking outside the box the entire time um, of an escape room. So I highly recommend, if you haven't already, that you try an escape room. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, the, the, the lessons that you would learn as a teacher about lesson design, experience design, right. and kind of user experience, learner experience, you can't pay enough for the, for the experience you get from doing just one escape room. Just one escape room. Right. Yep. And I'm delighted that Pittsburgh's got a, got, got a lot of them open. The, you know, the ones that we explored when, when we were both living in town, you know, yeah. dynamite. And of course now here in Southern California, you, they're everywhere. Right. So outstanding. Love it. Okay. Okay. Your My number, number six, six is, is one of your personal favorites. You ready? Yes. Bombaleo. Oh God. <laughs> wrong with Bambaleo? It's impossible. It's a, yeah, one, you can't even <laughs> set it up, right, without having a degree Setting in physics. Setting it up is the game. Setting it up is the game. Okay, uh, dear listeners, Bambaleo is one of these abstract German dexterity games that, uh, this one is particularly fiendish. You've got uh, 20 pieces of wood that have been carved into different shapes and weights and sizes, and you place them on top of a big wooden yellow plate, essentially. And then you take that plate 
and you balance it on a cork ball that is itself balanced on essentially a candlestick. When everything's nice and balanced, 20 minutes object, later. Yeah, 25 minutes later. <laughs> um, <laughs> we almost, the first time we played this, we almost didn't manage to get it set up. So that's saying something. Then your object is to take pieces off of the top of the plate that's balancing precariously on this cork ball without causing the plate to become so unbalanced that everything falls off. Um, I like dexterity games. Well, you know I love dexterity games, but I love, love I like dexterity games because they're very simple, and I like the way that abstract game elements might be used to reflect like learning, like discrete pieces of learning, right? So you you think about a student playing Bombaleo. Well, what if what he's pulling off are aspects of an assessment that she's going to have to do, right? That she builds her assessment based on the way that she plays the game. Okay, I want three of these kind of questions, two of these kind, or whatever, right? Um, I think with younger kids, particularly with bigger pieces, um, those kinds of mechanics can be used in a very, you know, you're not building a whole class based on this dexterity game. You're, you're doing a 15 or 20 minute activity, right? But I think it's super fun. Teachers should play it. And see if it inspires them the way that it inspires me. They're not for everyone, but they're for me. Yeah. yeah. It is fun. <clears throat> like Nerve-wracking fun. Like hamster roll. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nerve-wracking fun. Nerve-wracking fun, exactly. What's your number five? Okay. Spyfall. Ooh, nice. So I wanted a, a game that had as its mechanic this sort of social deduction piece, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I thought about resistance, but resistance is a little more cutthroat. Yeah. Um, I do recommend resistance, but I think Spyfall is much more useful for a classroom setting. So in Spyfall, um, it, you just need a group of people to play, and everyone takes a card from a little, everyone gets a card from the same stack and all of the cards say the name of a location. So maybe the zoo, except one card from the stack says that you're the spy. So everyone in the group knows that you guys are at the zoo, (laughs) except for the spy. And the gameplay is that you ask people in the group questions about where you are and listen to their answers And if you're the spy, your job is to try to figure out where you are. If you're not a spy, your job is to try to figure out who the spy is based on the questions and answers that people give. Right. Um, So it's funny. Yep, yep, sure (laughs) Um, is. Because people ask really funny questions and give really funny answers. Um, I like that it's it's a social deduction game that you're trying to figure stuff out. Um, and I really like the communication aspect of it that you can, you know, lots of things have double meanings and 
you know, what seems like a, a simple everyday question might not be an everyday question. Right. Um, you know, when you're at the zoo. <laughs> right. Or on a steamship. Right. 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 You know, or, or in a tent. Yeah. Or at a hospital. Right. 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 Uh, how can you go wrong with Spyfall, right? It's, it's great. It's easy to play. Right. You can make it yourself. Yep. Uh, you can print it online, I think, and make it yourself. Yep. Um, the, the rules are easy, and it's, it's really interesting to watch people try to communicate with each other without really communicating with each other. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think it's super fun. I think everyone should get out and play it right now. Right now. Right now. Go play it right now. Turn the podcast off. No, not really. Not really. No. Uh, okay. Now, my number five. Yes. Is uh, a game that we haven't played together and probably the hardest game on my list. It's called Freedom. Okay. It's a, it's a simulation of the Underground Railroad. Oh. Okay. Now, Freedom's by Academy Games, which does um, another uh, great game called um, 1812. They're very, very thoughtful about creating simulations that are fun to play. Okay, now what makes what I like about Freedom is it's a simulation of a pretty dark part in American history, right? The the attempt by slaves to escape bondage and the process by which um, by which slave owners attempted to keep those slaves from escaping. And so uh, the mechanics of the game are sometimes you have to act on behalf of the slavers when you're playing. And it sets off very it, – it, it has the capacity to generate very powerful learning and conversation about, about its subject, right? Um, because it creates this dissonance in the player ex- between ex- – yeah. Right, right. And uh, there's learning materials that go with the game that if you wanted to buy them, you wanted to play the game as the game in your class, certainly worth it. Uh, But I think that anyone who has an interest in using games in class should definitely give this one a go um, because it's not hard to play from a rules perspective. It is hard to play as as a player. There are times when you simply do not want to do what the game requires you to do. You do. Yeah. Um, so that's my number five. Excellent. Uh, your number four. Mysterium. My number four, too. <gasps> what? Boom. Because you know who's the best Mysterium team ever? Go. John Cassie and Tracy Wozenegger. Whoop, whoop. We have the same brain. That's correct. So in my, in my mind, Mysterium is all about communicating without speaking. Yep. Um, and I mean, I mean, it's a super fun game. You are a group of psychics trying to solve a murder and the, the, the ghost is helping you solve their own murder right. by giving you clues about who may have killed them, where they may have been killed and with what weapon. Right. But the only way the ghost can communicate is with these beautifully illustrated cards. Right. Like Dixit that, cards. Like Dixit cards. Yeah. If you've played Dixit. Yeah. So they have these abstract drawings that have recognizable things on them, maybe like a rabbit or a chair or a fork, but 
you know, how are you going to describe a nun as a suspect with a rabbit and a chair and a fork? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Not easily, my Not friends. Easily. Not easily. Yeah. Um, so this nonverbal communication mechanic, I think, is yeah. brilliant. And yeah. as a scientist, we communicate a lot of things with letters and numbers, but not the same way that people talk to each other. Right. Um, you know, so scientists communicate in weird ways too. And I just think this mechanic is, is pretty dynamite in Mysterium. Yeah. And as you said, it's a beautiful game. Right, right. It is, it is a beautiful game, beautifully designed, beautiful cards, easy to understand mechanics. You know, your, your, your grandmother who doesn't even play games could be part of the game and, 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 and easily have a very fun experience. It's like, it's like Clue mixed with something like a Dixit, right? Um, and how can you go wrong with that? You can't. You can't. I mean, and, and what does it take? An hour? Tops. Yeah, tops. Right? So it's, it's, it's easily, uh, it, it's easily uh, uh, played in a night. Um, and uh, and I, I find the, the art cards themselves an inspiring way to think about how to communicate information to students, Right. You want them to put things together in ways that form connections that are essential to really understand whatever your discipline is. Every discipline is looking for those critical connections that, that, the, that the people who practice that discipline at its most sophisticated level can get, right? So that's what you want, I think, students to get, that ability right. to, 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 to make that work. Get out and play. Mysterium. Play. Number four. On both of our lists. That was both. Tracy, everyone's what's Mysterium. your number three? Pandemic. Ooh, so I know okay. I know it's everyone, it's on everyone's game to play for teachers. Yep. But you know, it's too good not to put on the list. Got it. Um so again, Pandemic is by Matt Leacock. And his uh, he was on my list at number nine with Forbidden Island. Forbidden Island. So yeah, go. So if you have not if if you are one of few people in America who has not yet played Pandemic, I assume that everyone plays board games on weekends like we do. Right. So Pandemic is a cooperative game. Your team is um, against the game. And it's about the spread of disease, about the outbreak of disease um, throughout the world. So your job as a group of um, people fighting these outbreaks is to remove disease, cure disease, research diseases. Um, so I love the co-op play. I love the mechanics. So built into the game, um, when a disease when disease hits a city. So if there's um, if disease shows up in Pittsburgh, for example, there's a mechanic built into the game that more disease is likely to spread in Pittsburgh. Yep. So the longer you play, the more disease sort of starts to spread in the same places over and over again, which makes it hard to battle. So it actually does a pretty good job of mimicking um, the way that diseases spread. So it's good for game-based learning. I also think there's some good mechanics 
for gamified learning. Totally. I mean, it's, it's back to those points that we talked about, about the cooperative mechanic, right? Uh, the idea of what, the, what are the benefits of working together against an abstraction right. Right, rather than against another player. Um, I think that, um, that there, are, there are times when there's a real benefit to you as the teacher being the adversary, Right. The right. students are competing against you, right? That could be even more fun, right? And Matt Leacock's games are, are they're just elegant designs uh, and fun to play. Fun to play? How can you go wrong with Pandemic? You really can't. Exactly. And now there's Cthulhu Pandemic. What? Where you fight Cthulhu. And Innsmouth and yeah, and all oh, these yeah, fun. all these Lovecraftian places. I, it would be fun if I've ever won. I'm, we have not won it yet. Mm. Yeah, that is the nature of fighting Cthulhu, Cthulhu games. That's right. Yeah, yeah. you are you're supposed to lose. Right. Yes. Um, all right. Tell me your number three. Okay, my number three. Code names. <gasps> code names. Okay. Now I like code names for the same reason that you like set. Okay. Codenames yep. is about pattern recognition. Okay, Codenames is a is a game where you are trying to get your uh, those people on your team to correctly guess words in a big grid, a twenty five word grid. Um, after you've given them one word clues, it's like password, but with a group of words rather than a single word, and. Like Spyfall, very social, doesn't take all that long to play. Uh, the replayability is off the is off the charts. Off the charts, right? Because you've got a thousand words, you only play with twenty five. Each word card has a has a word on the back as well. You put them into a different. You put them into the grid differently. Then uh, each team is responsible for a different combination of words, and it's really about the combinations, the patterns that matter. I I can see in any discipline. Going all the way down, probably to high elementary school. If you've got a series of patterns that you want your students to play with, and really kind of like Play-Doh, you really want to get them to mash it up. Just use just use the code names rules, right? And if you're interested in doing vocabulary, what the game actually is about, Aces—that's what it's for, right. right? But if you want to do mathematical pattern finding or if you want to do bio, you know biology right if you want to do uh, chemistry if you want to do um, uh, if you want students to understand the decisions of one social group over another or you know you've studied Egypt and uh, Mesopotamia and India in grade six okay well you can put words that connect to those things into a grid pattern and have students try to figure out how they relate. Not too hard. No. Super fun. Have you? So there's also, since we're talking about code names, code names pictures. Yep. Which is all pictures instead of words. And people have been making code name grids out of their board games. So instead of code names cards, they're putting board games into the five by five grid. Oh. And then you have to get your team to guess the right board games. Oh. So you, to your point, you can put anything. That's right. In a five by five grid. Right. 
it's, and recognize patterns. Right. It's it's a it's a reminder that the that that, that and you and I've talked about this for for years now. <clears throat> game based learning and gamified learning are different. Right. And what what you're talking about is take the game use it to gamify an experience by putting into the game not the game's content but your content. Right. And you can't go wrong. I played Codenames Pictures this weekend. My brain melted. <laughs> Codenames is hard enough as you know. I think Pictures is easier. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> I have no idea what that says about us. That's probably why we're like the Wonder Twins. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, it was fun. Yeah. But after I was exhausted, you know? <laughs> <sighs> I could play 10 games of Codenames, one game of Codenames Pictures, and I was like... You were done. I need a... Were you giving the clues? Uh, yes. Or were you... Yeah. Yeah. It's... If, you, if anyone out there has not played Codenames... Being the clue giver is a hundred times more stressful than guessing the words. Right. It's like being the ghost in Mysterium. Right. Right. Um, yeah. All right. So Brain buster. Friends, we're coming, to the, we're coming up to the uh, top two here. I know. Tracy, what's your it's number two? Zendo. Good old Zendo. You knew it was going to be on my I list. I knew Zendo was going to be on your list. Okay. <laughs> it's Tell the me. perfect. It's the perfect science game. Yeah. So Zendo is basically the scientific method. Um, you play, I don't, you can't buy Zendo anymore to my knowledge. Um, but you can buy the little pyramids that you play Zendo with. So you have colored pyramids of different size, small, medium, large in five different colors. Yep. And the, um, game master makes a rule for the universe. The universe is the game. And builds a structure that obeys the rule and then a structure that does not obey the rule. So I played with some students today um, in AP chemistry. We had a little bit of time left at the end of class, so we played. And my rule was that the yellow piece had to be off of the table um, for for the structure to be legit. And basically, the players have to guess what the rule is by building their own structures to see if they obey the rule or not. Yep. Um, so they have to, you know, carefully build and test different theories through gameplay. And I've seen adult people, smart, well-educated <laughs> adult people, <laughs> which included scientists, right. play this game for over an hour without figuring out the rule. Right. It's... Wicked hard. It is wicked hard. But it's be- it's beautiful and simple. As as game designs go, it is it is peerless in how in how elegant it is. Right. Right. I, th- sh- I mean, you can download its rules off the internet. You can buy pieces to play it. Right. Um. From, you I mean, know, from, from game supply stores. Right. And I think you can play with almost anything. Totally. That stacks, you know, blocks yeah. or yeah. anything like that. And you wrote about it already for Game Level Learn. Right. Yeah. So there's, a, there's an I essay. Think, yeah. I think yeah. my picture is in that. I think it is actually. It's like very, very serious thinking face on because Zendo was besting me. <laughs> 
I don't think I have ever bested it. <laughs> uh, but talk about talk about a, a sort of a pure representation of. Uh, of, of, a, of a sort of a learning concept. It is the scientific method. It is. It is the science. So start there. Right. Right. It, it, it's, it couldn't be easier. Yeah. Uh, to understand the game, forget it. Super hard. Yes. Yeah. But simple to play, simple to set up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My number two tell me, yeah. is a game that, that I think I've played with you called Thebes. Oh, is that where I reach in the treasure bag? That's right. I love the treasure bag. Right. So Thebes is a game <laughs> where you play archaeologists, uh, what, and uh, and you're you are, are traveling around Europe to gain knowledge about different areas of uh, of uh, ancient history. Where if you visit them, you get to uh, you get to pull. Uh, chips out of a out of a bag that has a lot of treasure, treasure. but also a lot of pieces <laughs> that just represent digging up dirt. Okay, not and treasure, not treasure. <laughs> Sad, for, burr, burr. right? Um, I like a number of things about this game mechanically. I love the pulling stuff out of the bag. Okay, sort of yes. random goodies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I love the the fact that whose turn it is depends on how much time a finite resource the game measures, how much time you've spent compared to your other players, okay? And that it's got a time track, and different things that you choose to do cost different amounts of time. So how you choose to play the game can be radically different from the way the other people are playing the game. Many, many, many pathways to victory, and it's an easy it's an easy game to learn how to play. So, if you want to understand this notion of a really well designed and more sophisticated gamified learning experience, should give students multiple pathways to win. There are there are there are, I mean there are lots of games that do this that do this well, but I think Thebes, because of its accessibility and its tactility. Right. And how fun, just how fun it is. Right. Right. Uh, Is a good example of how you can really study different, equally valid pathways to victory. Right. Which is, would be super usable in a classroom. Exactly. Give kids choices, give some, give some, um, some more student centered. Right. Right. Right ways for kids to get to your objective. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And maybe even to set an objective of their own, right? Within, within the framework of the game, right? Right. You know, that, that, you know, if you're playing Thebes, you're not playing, uh, uh, you're not playing uh, Chinese archaeology. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not what you're doing. Right. right? So within the framework, you can, you know, you can win or lose in lots of different ways. I think the game is quite good at that. So, so... Friends, we've arrived at number one. I know. We've arrived at number one. Tracy, I'm wondering if we have the same one. I don't think we do. I think you have the one I didn't put on my list because I was counting on you putting it on your list. Ah, that's outrageous. (laughs) Outrageous. You stole one of my top ten. (laughs) 
Okay, you tell me yours. Okay, so my number one is Dungeons and Dragons Online. Go. So Dungeons and Dragons Online is an MMO. Um, so World of Warcraft is another MMO, yeah. and I don't really care if you play DDO, which is Dungeons and Dragons Online. But I think that if you're interested in play in interested in gamification, you should have some experience with some kind of MMO. I agree with that. Um, so I Dungeons and Dragons Online is based on the Dungeons and Dragons role playing game, the pen and paper game. Yep. And um, speaking of multiple paths to victory, super customizable. Right. MMOs are your characters are super customizable. Um, the class that you play, you know, the type of weapons that you use. Um, are you a spellcaster? Are you a healer? Right, right. The, the real reason I put it on my list is that it is the most immersive learning environment that I've ever been a participant in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I have been through college and a master's degree. <laughs> I've learned so much. Now, granted, I've learned a lot about playing DDO in my right. DDO immersive world. Right. Um, but I've learned so much playing this game, and it's all been fun. Right. Um, and I looked recently, I happened to be talking with my DDO friends about it, I looked recently to see how long I've been playing. And I signed up in June of 2010. Yep. So I've been playing this game for six years, right. six and a half years, right. and it has not lost its appeal. I play multiple times a week, yep. um, and it's still fun, and I'm still learning, and it still challenges me. Right. Now, I, I cannot disagree. Now, I don't play DDO. I play WoW. Right. right. And you, know, you and I have talked about this a lot. Everything you've said about DDO applies to WoW. It applies to EVE Online. It applies to uh, right. Star Wars The Old Republic. Any MMO is going to have a structure, uh, uh, ElfQuest, whatever. Uh, yeah, they all have a structure uh, that is um, broadly similar mechanically. And the way that they create challenges for the player, broadly similar, right? Uh, I think we could probably do a whole episode on MMOs or probably a whole series on the different elements of MMOs and how to integrate them into your classroom. Right. Right. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to belabor your point, which is very well made. Right. Uh, go, go play an MMO. Yeah. Right? Find one you like. They're right. very different. Um, right. It seems like they're all the same, but they're very different. They're, they are not at all the same, even though they've got similar bones. Yeah. They're not at all the same. I was at a. I was presenting at a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago in British Columbia, and one of the people at a session I was running was talking about quest design for his students. And I said, "Well, okay, what's the MMO you play?" And he said, "I don't play any video games. I don't believe in them." I said, "We're we're done. Yeah. <laughs> go play. It doesn't matter what one you play. Go play one. Go play WoW. Go play DDO. Go play Eve. Go play Elf. It doesn't matter. Right." But the reason why you're having a hard time with your quest design is because you've never experienced being a a uh, a half orc barbarian, <laughs> right, or a Pandaren shaman, 
So go. Go. Play your right? quests. Go play your quests, right? Um, so we're going to return to that topic. Yes. And lots, I suspect... There's lots in MMOs, I think. Uh, agreed. We, yeah. Agreed. Um, and I think there's a lot in my number one, Letters from Whitechapel. <laughs> yeah. Right. See, I was right. I can I, count on you. I cannot believe you left it off of your because I knew you would put it outrageous. off. Outrageous! And I, I needed to get some of these weird mechanics. You know, <sighs> needed to get Galaxy Trucker on there. I got my eye on you. <laughs> you, you, you. Tell us about Whitechapel. You, you, uh, you, you totally <laughs> stole one. No, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, look in letters. Letters from Whitechapel. Purely, it's a, it's a great opposed cooperative. You've got one person playing. Uh, Jack the Ripper and the other players are playing the police trying to capture Jack. It is a secret movement game. Jack is moving along the board. Uh, There are 195 numbered circles on the board. Jack is trying to move from a, a circle where he commits a murder to a number that he's written in on his secret piece of paper as his secret lair. He's trying to move there without being detected or arrested by the police. The police are moving around the board, asking questions, doing interrogations to try to find Jack's pattern of movement and over time increasingly restrict the area that Jack can move in safely and comfortably. Um, Tell me a game that has more subtle ramping of tension I don't know what I don't know what I it is. I can't tell you one. <clears throat> exactly. I can't tell you one. The 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 excitement if you're a player, if you're a policeman of just getting a whiff of the trail. Unlike unlike almost anything else in gaming, okay? Getting jack, getting the jack player really in a sweat. Struggling to stay ahead of the police, trying to find those routes through the game board. That the, that the police are not going to see, trying to psych them out a little bit by doubling back where they don't expect it. Using the, in the game, the jack player has a couple of special movement tokens that allow him to break the, otherwise break the movement rules um, by moving twice in a turn or by moving through the game board in a way that you wouldn't normally be allowed to. Extraordinary. And the police... Uh, the police have their own, essentially, they have their own board on top of the jack board. Jack moves on these numbered circles, but the police have a different board on the same board that has these black squares. So their their movement is sometimes a little faster than Jack's, and sometimes it's a little slower, depending on how that board has been designed. Um, as, a, as a tool to teach collaboration, there's, no, there's better. no better game. Even just a single turn of Letters from Whitechapel will tell a group all they need to know about what's going to work and what isn't going to work from them as, as collaborators. Students whose instinct is to take control will want to take control. Students who want to step back, they're going to step back. Better to try this in a learning mode where there's nothing on the table except the game than when you're doing actual group work and you don't have a good group dynamic because you don't know how you work as a group. Okay, You can play a turn of this game in an hour. Because of the theme, it's probably better in a high school setting, but you could, you, you could probably dial it back um, by stripping away some of the theme. Uh, 
I've taught it in two schools now. I just did it last week in my entrepreneurship class, and it had exactly the effect that I'd expected it to have. Um, and the students were more than pleasantly surprised at how much they enjoyed not just playing it, but in observing other people play it. Because I put them basically in a fishbowl, right? Right. Half the class was playing, the other half was observing. Oh, watching them play. Exactly. Report out. Tell each person how they collaborate. What did they do during gameplay? Very, very helpful. Um, It's an extraordinary game. And just to play it, again, to win it, it's like like nothing else. Like nothing else. That's my most exciting gaming moment. That board victory. gaming moment. Winning Whitechapel. Yep. Against me now. Yes. My Against d- John Cassie. D- dear listeners. Um, I can see the, I can, it's perfectly imprinted on my mind. Right. I can see everyone's face. Totally, totally. I can see the hands raised in the air. Right. <laughs> I can see the librarian looking over at us <laughs> with that scornful look because you've all gone, yes, yes. <laughs> right. We arrest on 28. Yeah. <laughs> pause, 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 pause. You win. Yay! Yay! Mayhem. Uh, definitely get out there and play it. Now, if you're a teacher who's listening to this podcast, uh, or indeed you're not a teacher, you're a parent who's interested in this theme, or, or you're a student or whatever, uh, I think there are some games on this list that are maybe a little easier to get into. Yeah. Than Whitechapel, so you probably don't want to start here, even though you definitely want you want to get here. You want to get to that point where you're playing that game. So what are what are the games to start with? Forbidden I'm thinking, Island. I'm thinking Forbidden Island. I'm thinking Set. Spyfall. Spyfall. Code names. Yeah. Right. Machi Koro. Machi Koro for sure. Yeah. Those are probably your 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 entry level games. And you can probably find those. Um, some of those I know you can find at Target. I bet a lot of libraries have them. Yep. Because a yep. lot of libraries are stocking board games now. Totally. Your friendly so local that- game store will certainly have them. Yep. Uh, Amazon will have them. I'll also be providing uh, in the show notes uh, a list of places to go get this. Oh, uh, fancy. To go get these games. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be, uh, that'll be a help as well. Um, so now, listeners, you've heard our list. And I'm keen, I'm sure Tracy's as well, to hear what are your top 10 games, what are your top five games, what makes them great, why do you play them? And these would be games, again, this is, this is Gamified Teaching 101. We think you should play these games. Even if you never use them in your classroom, we think you should play them because they're that fun. So what's on your list? Uh, join the conversation at Game Level Learn on Facebook, at Game Level Learn on Twitter, or you can connect with, uh, with Tracy and me directly. I'm on Facebook uh, at Jonathan Cassie. I tweet at John Cassie or email John Cassie at Gmail. Tracy, how might the listener get in touch with you? I'm on Facebook. You can find me, Tracy Wozenegger. Oh, Lord. Last name. My email address is also tlwozenegger at gmail.com. So That'll be in the show notes as well, friends. Oh, well, great. You'll put it in there so we, I don't have to spell it for everybody. Right. So, uh, listeners, friends, thank you for joining us on this 10-game-long journey. And uh, join us again in a couple of weeks as we continue to explore the world of games 
gaming and gamification. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.